Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to begin this morning by asking you a question. When you think of the words victory and celebration, what are some of the images that enter into your mind? Maybe it's perhaps that, that famous scene from the end of World War II. It's after the war is over. It's in New York City in Times Square. And there's all the celebrating going on. And you see this sailor kissing this, this young nurse. Maybe that's the image that enters your mind when you think of that word victory. But let's, let's bring it in a little a more forward in history. Maybe you think of that word victory, celebration, overcoming uh, something. And you think of the year 1980, where the U.S. US uh, hockey team defeated the Russians at uh, Lake Placid, New York. It's that night in history that became known as the miracle on ice. In fact, one of the men that called the game that night, Al Michaels, he has that famous saying that we all are familiar with. Do you believe in miracles? And that moment was completed two nights later when the U.S. would defeat the Finns to win the gold medal. For Michigan fans, that, that word victory and, and celebration, it was last year when they defeated Ohio State. That was a moment for them to, for you to celebrate and, and to uh, rival in, the, in that victory. Those are all great examples of, that word, of the words victory and celebration. But when you ask me, Vicar, when, I, when you ask me, what, what comes into your mind when you think of those words victory and celebration? There, there's one particular moment from my childhood, and it's this moment right here. Labonte up high. Earnhardt uses the left car of Rick Bass to the, as a pick. 20 years of trying, 20 years of frustration. Dale Earnhardt will come to the caution flag to win the Daytona 500. Finally, the most anticipated moment in racing. If John Elway can win the Super Bowl, Dale Earnhardt said he could win the Daytona 500. And if he comes around under caution to complete this final lap, the taste of long-awaited victory will be his. Checkered flag, Dale Earnhardt finally is a champion of the Daytona 500. Look out on pit road. Every man on every crew has come out to the edge of pit lane to congratulate the man who has dominated everything there is to win in this sport, except this race until today. Out of his car and listen to this. That moment still kind of gives me goosebumps. It's been a while. <laughs> I remember watching this as, as a kid, as a nine-year-old kid. It was 1998. And I remember the joy and excitement I had at Dale Earnhardt's victory and the celebration. And I was just a fan of it. It was such a great moment as a fan because for so many years he tried to win the 500. And for some reason or another, he didn't do it. But that's the scene that enters my mind when I think of those words, victory and celebration. Our reading from this morning comes from, from Revelation. We have this scene of victory and celebrating that John lays out for us in chapter 5. Now, 
Revelation is, is a hard book for us to understand. There, there's a lot of symbolism built into it that John uses. There's a lot to unpack and uncover in Revelation. In fact, Revelation is one of those books that can be downright intimidating to, to read, let alone to, to preach on. But it's also a book that gives us great comfort. And it reminds us of God's presence and his promises and his presence during the end times. And so that author this morning, John, he's unpacking that for us in chapter 5. He's unpacking this, this scene of comfort and joy and celebration. That's what John's doing for us. When I was in college, I had the honor of taking a class on Revelation with Dr. Brighton. Dr. Brighton, uh, Dr. Lewis Brighton taught at the seminary for many years, and he wrote the, the commentary that Concordia Publishing House uh, has that we use. Well, I had his son, Mark Brighton, at Irvine, and Dr. Brighton had some, some uh, sayings about uh, the book of Revelation. There's a few of them that, that enter into my mind. One of them was, he'd say, gentlemen, if you want to understand the symbolism in Revelation, go back to the Old Testament, because that's where John pulls his symbolism from, is from the Old Testament. He had another famous saying, and it, it fits the, the context of where we are this morning in Revelation. So we're kind of in the, the middle of the section of the beginning of Revelation. So for the first three chapters, there's been the writing to the seven churches. And then after chapters four and five, there comes the breaking of the seven seals one by one. But we're in this, this interlude period, if you will, between the seven churches and the seven seals. And Dr. Brighton, he would tell us when we got to this chapter, these two chapters in class, he's like, gentlemen, pay attention. The author is drawing your attention to something important. There's that, that's why there's this, this sudden shift in the dialogue and sudden shift in the way the format of, of the writing is going. And so this morning... I want us to draw our attention to Revelation chapter 5 and see what John is trying to draw our attention to and hopefully unpack some of that scene that John describes for us. So Revelation, it begins, chapter 5 begins in the same place that chapter 4 was. John is in the throne room of God. He's in the very presence of our Lord and Savior and John tells us that he sees the one seated on, seated on the throne, and he has a scroll in his hand. And this scroll has writings, writing on both the back and the front of it. And, and there are, are seven seals that seal up this, this scroll. You see, seals were used in biblical times to, to keep a document secure that anyone who, who wasn't uh, authorized to see it wouldn't have that ability when Jesus was placed into the tomb after his death, the Romans sealed the tomb with, or the Romans sealed the tomb with the Roman seal. And yet, there's this scroll that the, the Lord is uh, holding in his hand. It's, it's, it's God's plan of salvation and redemption and restoration for his creation. And the writing that is on both sides of it, it's symbolizing the completeness of God's plan of salvation for his creation. You see, since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, when they fell into sin, God had a plan for, for saving his creation and, his, uh, uh, and us. His plan was to send his only son into this world. But John tells us in the middle of chapter 5, there's a problem. 
there's a problem because no one is found that is worthy to take the scroll, let alone open the scroll. John writes it this way in Revelation. He tells us, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. John, John sees this and he senses that something's not going to be completed. So he begins to cry because he thinks the contents of the scroll, God's plan for salvation, for redemption, for restoration, for his creation, is never going to come to completion because there's no one worthy to open the scroll. But then John is told to stop crying by one of the 24 elders. And he tells him to stop crying because there is one who steps forward who is worthy to open the scroll. John describes this person by using titles that we're familiar with from the Old Testament. John says that this person who steps forward, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. These, of course, are the, the messianic titles that Jesus goes by in the Old Testament that John is familiar with. John even brings it into the New Testament when he describes Jesus as the lamb that has been slain. You see, John, in, in Revelation chapter 5, he's describing that scene for us after Christ's ascension. I don't know about you, but I always wonder when I read the ascension account, I'm like, I wonder what happens on the other side when he goes up into heaven. And here in Revelation chapter 5, we get a glimpse of that glory. We get a chance to see that moment. We get to see how Jesus ascended into heaven and how he was welcomed and all the different events that take place following his ascension. And we see that Jesus is able to take the scroll from the, from the hand of God. And he's able to open that seal. And it's all because of what he's done for you and for me. How he died for the sins of the world. How he conquered sin, death, and the devil. He is able to open the scroll and, and reveal the contents. And he's able to bring to fulfillment God's plan of redemption and restoration and renewal for his people. Jesus, he, he takes the scroll in his hand, and that's when this moment of, of celebrating, this moment of triumph begins, this glimpse of glory. And John, he's describing this to us. He's, he's, in this, he's describing this scene. He's in the throne room of God, and now he's going to begin to describe for us. He's going to begin to unpack that moment of celebration. And that celebration begins with the four living creatures. They start the, the celebration along with the 24 elders. And they begin to sing a song of praise and explaining how, why Jesus is worthy. The song begins with, uh, he's worthy because he died for the sins of the world. He's worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. But the song, it continues that the elders and the four living creatures sing. They say that he's bought back people for God through the blood he shed. And these people, they come from every tribe, language, and nation. It's not what we expect when we think of that, that moment in heaven, when we think of uh, standing around praising God. We sometimes, in our, in our human nature, we think of, you know, only certain people are going to be in heaven. They're going to look a certain way, and they're going to act a certain way. They're going to be like us. But John kind of blows the doors off of that when he tells us in Revelation that all, these all the people, they come from every nation, every uh, tribe, every language. And they're all together in this scene in the throne room of God. And they're praising and worshiping him. We get a, a glimpse of that 
that idea of who we don't expect to worship God from our reading from Acts this morning. It's that account of the Saul who later becomes Paul. You see, God uses one of the most unlikely people in Saul. You see, Saul was on his way. He was an enemy of the church. And our account at chapter 3 picked up where he was on his way to Damascus. He was on his way to arrest more of the followers of Jesus and imprison them. And yet, Paul has a glimpse of glory on that road to Damascus. Because Jesus is going to personally call him. And he's going to use him to proclaim his word and to share his word and to write uh, the new t- write books of the New Testament. But let's go back to that scene in, in Revelation. Back to that scene. And there's another group of, of beings that break out in song and celebration. So we, now we have, the 20, we have the 24 elders. We have the four living creatures. Now the angels break out in, in song. And John describes it for us that there are so many of them, he's not able to count them. And they're all singing and praising God. And their song is, is a little, it's, the words are a little different, but it's the same thing. They're, they're singing his praise. Their song is saying he's worthy to receive wealth and wisdom and might, honor and blessing because of his victory on the cross. John has one last group, if you will, of people that join in this heavenly choir of singing praises to God. The last group, John writes in in Revelation chapter 5, is every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. All these these beings are, are praising God and they're singing. I want us to just pause for a moment. Can you imagine the sound of this? All these, all these beings singing the praises of God. Can you imagine what John was seeing? He was seeing all this as he was writing it down, what it must have been like. It's hard for us to imagine. But they're all singing the praises of God because he is worthy indeed of, our, of all praises because what he has done for his people through his son. As I said, after the fall into sin by Adam and Eve and the fall of creation, God had a plan for redemption, a plan to redeem and restore his creation. His plan was to send his only son into this world to die for our sins. But he just didn't die for our sins, but he rose from the dead. And he defeated three of our greatest enemies. He defeated sin, death, and the devil. We indeed, have those have been defeated. And because of that, our sins have been forgiven. We have been washed in the blood of the Lamb that was slain for his people. Because of uh, him defeating our three greatest enemies, he's opened up the promise of, the, of eternal life to us all. We have the promise that when our time is over on this earth, that we, we get to be with our Lord and Savior forever, that we get to be reunited with all those who have come before us in the faith. But let's briefly return to Dr. Brighton's insight into Revelation. John is drawing our attention this morning to this scene of Jesus' ascension after his resurrection. And also he's, he's pointing to, a, to us what it means for us today. So John, he describes this scene of worship that is happening. And we get a chance to join in that worship. We get to do that when we gather here, when we gather to sing his praise, when we call upon his name in prayer. We praise God in honor his name 
when we go and we share our faith with others, we tell others what he has done for them, how much he loved them, that he was willing to give his only son for them. And we can also remind them that maybe they're suffering through a hard time. Maybe they've lost a loved one. We can remind them that those who, are, who have faith in Jesus, that one day he's going to return and he's gonna, we're going to get to be with him forever. And at the same time, he's going to take this broken, fallen creation that we know and he's going to take it and he's going to recreate it and make it new. There's a song by a Christian artist, Chris Tomlin. The song is called, Is He Worthy? In the song, Chris Tomlin, he, he describes and he summarizes this, this praise that is going on in Revelation chapter 5. It, it's an interesting song, the way it, it's formatted. The song begins with asking a question, and there, there's an echo response to that question. And then we come to one of the choruses that goes like this. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He was David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. He is indeed worthy of all of our praise and glory. And let us join with all of the company of heaven and praise our Lord for what he has done and shout with, with joy and excitement that, that refrain of he is risen, he is living until that day he comes back for each one of us. Amen.